north side of the Sea of Galilee is a small area called the Mount of Beatitudes. We're at that location today teaching on the Beatitudes. If you remember from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus takes just a few key points and he teaches that if we do these things, we're blessed. And he goes on to give us further instructions that we're blessed with particular things. Today in verse 9, it reads this way, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In my mind, this is probably the greatest direct correlation of all of the Beatitudes of what it means to do what Jesus did. He was a peacemaker. Now, there's a difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. A peacekeeper is a person who, regardless of the cost, won't confront, won't take care of business. They just keep their mouth shut in order to keep peace. But a peacemaker is a person who is willing to deal with issues and to deal with things because some peace is only possible on the other side of conflict. Today we're going to be talking about those things. Well, howdy JFC. I hope all of you are doing well. We just want to welcome in all of our campuses, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, everybody here at Lone Tree live with us. Um, we are in the midst of a Beatitudes series, and I don't want to take a whole lot of time, but if you've missed the last few weeks, um, or if this is your first time at JFC, just wanted to provide a bit of an explanation um, about what we're doing. We are actually trading teaching. We're doing two teachings, two Beatitudes every weekend. So we've been taking the last three weekends. We're in the fourth week and the last weekend of our Beatitudes series, and we're taking two Beatitudes every weekend to teach on and to bring um, to, to the platform. Um, in order to do that, though, we are actually um, having two different teachers bring those teachings. So I'm going to bring the first one, and then Pastor DJ here in just a little while is going to follow up with the last, the eighth beatitude that we have um, in uh, the book of Matthew. So just a little preface of what, what we're doing, why we're doing it, and, and just in addition to that, um, I was actually just sitting up here thinking before we started the message, you actually every weekend, I don't know whether you know it or not, you've actually witnessed a miracle every time one of us pastors gets up here and teaches a 20-minute message. <laughs> you know, you may be out there thinking, I don't know if I believe in miracles or not. Well, if you've been here for any stream of time, or even today, you will witness two miracles take place here in the next 40 minutes. So with all of that being said, I just want to welcome everybody in. On your notes when you came in, or sorry, on your seats when you came in, you found notes, or on your way in, you were handed those notes. I want you to grab those, and we're going to jump in. Today, we're going to talk about Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, which says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children, or some translations say sons, of God. Before we jump into this message, I just want to invite everybody to pray with me. We want to invite the Lord into our presence and for him to really just direct everything that we do today. So would you guys just pray with me? Father, without you, we have nothing, and we are in recognition of our great need for you. God, I am so thankful that we can go to your word. We can dive into scripture, Lord, and be fed. And Lord, I pray today as we look at just a small portion of a teaching that you did, that Jesus just spoke truth, spoke life, brought peace, brought joy. Lord, and there's so much blessing in that. And Father, just as, as the Beatitudes say, blessed are, Lord, we want to be blessed by you. We want to put ourselves into your presence underneath your blessing. And so that's what we do right now. Lord God, we come under your blessing. We want nothing more than your presence to touch us. And we give you that opportunity, Lord, and we say thank you. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. 
Well, as I began to study this message, um, and I really was just diving in, we as a teaching team were talking about the Beatitudes. And I found out that I was going to be taking the message, blessed are the peacemakers. So I first, the first thought that popped into my head was probably a natural one, which many of you may, may have think this way. And I just thought, what, what is a peacemaker? You know, what is a peacemaker? Other than, other than a, a weapon that, that is, is made, some of you guys are like, some of you guys are real manly men. You're like, I know what a peacemaker is. Give me a break. You know, there's, there's a weapon out there that's, that's deemed a peacemaker. That's not what this is, is talking about. Jesus is not talking about blessed are the peacemakers and the weapon type. Um, so I had to go a little bit beyond that. What is a peacemaker and why would I want to be one? Obviously, everything that Jesus taught in the Beatitudes is something that I should approach and say, I want to be like this. Jesus said, blessed are these people, so I need to position myself in a place of saying, well, I want to be one of these people. I want to be a blessed person, and therefore I need to be what Jesus said I should should be, or I should do what he said I should do. And he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Well, as I studied this message, and as I studied and really just dove into this sentence, I, I thought, okay, what is a peacemaker? And here's what I felt like the Lord said to me. He said, there's two things, two questions that you need to ask. The first question that you need to ask, and this is in your notes, it says, what are you known for? Or another way to say that is, what do other people call you? What do they say? Who do they say you are? If you were just to go up to some random person and they say, who am I? How how am I known in the midst of all of my peers, all the people that I live with? How am I known? How am I labeled? What are the things that people say about me whenever I walk away? Do they say that I'm a peaceful person, that I'm a nice person, that I'm a loving person, that I'm a just person, that I'm a rude person, that I'm a mean person, that I'm an angry person? How are you known? As you think through that, sometimes if you're like me, you may recognize that there's a lot of things that I'm known for that I don't necessarily want to be known for. They're just ways, they're faults that I find in my own life, ways that I present myself, things that I say, things that I do inappropriately, not based upon the way that the gospel would want me to live my life, the way that Jesus would direct me? Well, that leads me to the second question. If I recognize the person that I currently am is not necessarily the full person that I was created to be or that I should be, I have to answer the question, what do I want to be known for? What do I want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? As you sit there and you reconcile all the thoughts about how people see you, who they think you are, how you present yourself, that's how you are truly known right now, But how do you want to be known? What do you want to be known for? At the end of your life, Pastor John just recently taught a message, at the end of your life, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? Because as you walk your life out, you have an opportunity to live in a way that you can make a stance and say, this is what I want to be known for, therefore I'm going to live this way to make that who I am and how I'm known. Well, Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 tells us how we should be known. A very simplistic way It says, Jesus says in this, he said, we shall be called children of God. I don't know about you, but that phrase children of God is something that really hits home for me. It's something that says, that's that's how I want to be known. When somebody looks at me and you strip away all the layers of who I am and what I do and all those other kind of things, and you take it down to a bare bones place of how God has created me, who God has created me, I want to be known as a child of God. Whether you're somebody that sits in our congregation here, whether you're somebody that sits at one of our campuses and you've never ever met me in person, whether you're a neighbor that knows me in passing, or whether you're somebody who may meet me one time in your life, I want to leave an impression on you that you know I was a child of God. 
And I believe that this is what Jesus is saying in this portion of his message. He says, blessed are the people who when they walk around and they live their lives and they do their things, that they are known as children of God, that they are labeled as ones who have been with me, ones who have accepted me into their hearts, ones who have taken my stamp and put it on their heart. Now, I believe most of us in this room probably have done that in one way, shape, or form. But as I was thinking about this, how God labels us as his children, I actually thought about something that may be kind of comical to you. Um, about 15 years ago or so, give or take a few years, many of you probably remember a fad that was going on. Many of you may have been actually involved in this fad. I'm not asking for hands to be raised, um, but it, was with, with, it had to do with tattoos. Um, some of you, you wear long sleeves constantly because you men went through this fad. You got the tribal armband or you got the barbed wire, or maybe you women, you, a lot of women were getting the, the butterfly on the small of their back. I don't know if any of you guys remember these, these fads that were going on right now. I was a little young when that fad came around. But right at the end of this fad came around another one of getting Chinese characters tattooed on your body for some reason. You literally walk into a tattoo parlor, you pick a Chinese character off the wall having no idea what it says, and then you put it on your body, and then you live the rest of your life with it all over your body. Well, we got a ton of people probably in this church sitting out there that are not, they're, they're like, you know, I'm trying not to make eye contact with me right now. They don't want to out themselves. It's not you, it's your neighbor. Look to your neighbor and I bet you a million dollars they probably have one. Um, <laughs> Well, I kind of got sucked into this fad, okay? Um, but I, got, I didn't just pick a random character off of a, a Chinese wall of characters. Um, I actually met somebody who lived in Taiwan, and I said, hey, can you write out for me um, the, the phrase child of God in Mandarin Chinese? So he wrote it out for me, um, and he actually said, there's actually not really a term. Um, there's nothing that, that I can and give you in characters that exact, says exactly child of God. Um, so what he wrote out was, was a phrase that says God's little kid, which I actually think is kind of cool. You know, God's little kid. So he wrote it out, and I tattooed it on my wrist. I don't if you guys can see this, but it's on there permanently, okay? Well, I did this because I wanted, at that point in my life specifically, I felt like I want to label myself as God's. I want to put something on me that every time I look down at my wrist, I know whose I am. I know who I am. And so I labeled myself as God's child, and I walked around very proud for a few weeks being God's kid. And then eventually, as time went on, I forgot about it. It's just something that I did. It's a choice that I made, and I moved on. Sure, I could look down and be reminded every once in a while, but time went on. As you can see, if you walked up close, my tattoo started to fade and to bleed and just kind of blur. And while I looked down, I recognized I was labeled as God's kid. But sometimes I recognize on the outside, I don't always act that way. Sometimes I'm really glad on my wrist it's written in Chinese, and I live in America. So that as I go about my daily life doing the things that I do, people don't necessarily recognize that I'm a child of God because sometimes on the outside I don't act that way. I don't know if you can relate or not. Here's what I felt like the Lord said to me. Just like my tattoo, when you accept Jesus, God has put a stamp on your life. And he says, you're mine. Your responsibility from that day forward is to live as a child of God. To live as one who is proud to wear his mark one who makes an impact on the world around you. Unfortunately, just like I struggled with this on my body, but the external way that I lived out, many of us are stamped with God's mark on our lives, but we live a life that we'd be we would be ashamed if people actually knew what that stamp was because our lives externally don't necessarily reflect that. I don't know if any of you, any of you are with me, but 
You know, we live so many times fuzzy and faded Christian lives. Just like my tattoo, when I look down, I'm like, what even was that? I think sometimes we look back at our experience, our salvation experience with Jesus Christ and wonder, am I doing a just job in living out what he's given me, giving me his life? Am I truly acting as his child? Am I one when somebody looks at me, I reflect the nature and the character and the life and the peace of God? Are you one of those people? When somebody looks at you, are you known as a child of God? I know everybody here in the room is probably known as that, and I know nobody here in the room has one of those tattoos, but I know everybody at Lakewood has one. So <laughs> you guys can just rest assured that we're all safe, but you guys at Lakewood, you need to really lean forward here and listen. There's a, there's an, I can say that because Pastor Evan's not in the room here with me, so. Um, there's a book that I, I'm reading right now. It's called Unchristian. Fantastic book. I'm not going to tell you that you have to read it, but you should read it. It's a wonderful read. It's a challenging read. Um, and it's done, uh, written by a guy named David Kinman. Um, and he is, uh, he's a guy who works for Barna Research Group. And so he wrote this book. They did a study um, of unbelieving 18 to 30-year-olds. 18 to 30-year-olds who are not Christians. They would not label themselves as Christians. They have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And they did a study asking them a ton of different questions. And as I'm reading this book, they labeled this, this group of people, the 18 to 30-year-olds that, that are not believers, they've labeled these guys as outsiders. So they use the term outsiders. It's not a rude term. It's not a mean term. It's not a derogatory term. It's just how they have labeled these and tried to speak about them in this book. Well, I got to a point in this book, and I read something that really impacted me. And it's in your notes, and it says this. I'm going to read it. David goes on to say in his book, he says, in studying thousands of outsiders' impressions, it is clear that Christians are primarily perceived for what they stand against. We have become famous for what we oppose rather than what we are for. I want to read that last line again. It says, we have become famous as Christians. This is as a whole. This is not every single one of us, but as Christians here in the United States specifically, we have become known for what we oppose rather than what we're for. And as I read this beatitude, Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I was convicted that I feel like we have this all backwards. So many times we walk in ways that are actually opposing the world around us, putting them at arm's length, as opposed to drawing them in the way that Jesus has called us to do. And so I'm going to go on a journey really quickly with you guys to talk about what is a peacemaker and how do we live lives that are, we are known as children of God because of our peacemaking. You know, I think that there's two ways to be known. In James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, it's in your notes as well, it says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, I'm assuming that you're kind of like me. When you read this, it sounds really good, right? The fruit, um, sorry, the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and gentle and willing to you. None of you guys are going to oppose any of those things. We all want that kind of, of wisdom being applied to our lives and probably applied from our lives to others. It's good. They're all good things. And then it goes on to say the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That sounds great, doesn't it? Well, there's another portion of Scripture, though, in Matthew chapter 10, which you are probably familiar with. It's verse 34. 
And this is Jesus talking. And he says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So we have these two seemingly opposing thoughts in Scripture. One out of James, written by a man who was not God. And one written by Jesus himself, the infinite God-man. One spoken by Jesus himself. And if you read these two, you might go through a thought process as, as I did and think, well, okay, which one is it? Am I supposed to uh, bring peace? Am I supposed to bring a sword? Am I supposed to listen to what Jesus said or am I supposed to listen to what James said? I don't understand what in the world is going on here. Um, how, how do I decipher this? How do I think about this? How do I go through this process? Well, here's what I know to be true. Matthew 10, 34 has one word in there that is easily missed but very important when it comes to reading that scripture. And it says, do not think that, what's the next word? I came to bring peace on earth. And once again, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. There are far too many believers who believe that it is their responsibility to wield the sword of Jesus, to wield God's sword and to cut down anybody in the path of Christianity moving forward. We experienced this whenever we went through the Crusades. I know we're so far removed from this, but there was a period of time when most believers on this planet felt like the appropriate way to live life and the appropriate way to move the gospel message of Jesus Christ, what we call the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, was physically by a sword. If you didn't listen to me, if you didn't believe the way that I believed, if you didn't conform to what I say you should conform to, I'm going to take this and I'm going to cut you down. And we are reaping still today the pain and the difficulty and the problems that we as humans wielding swords has brought. I believe that it is God's responsibility to wield the sword. It is our responsibility to bring peace and life through Jesus Christ to this earth. I wrote down in your notes, this is a rhetorical question, obviously. I wrote, do you, does what you're known to be for outweigh what you're known to be against? Specifically as a Christian, when these people from the outside, and hopefully you have some of these relationships, not just people that are believers, but people that are unbelievers, when they see your life, do they see what you're known to be against? Or do they see you as somebody who is known as bringing the life-giving message of Jesus into everything that you do and touch. I think there's two extreme types of people. I wrote down in my notes, it's not in yours, but you might want to write it beside this, the two types of people that I think in my mind that are extremes, one is the, are the enforcers, and then the other one are the recluses. Don't ask me how to spell recluses, because I don't think I spelled it right in my notes. <laughs> but you have the enforcers and you have the recluses. And I, I thought about these two, and I, I tried to apply it to my own life, and I think that I've gone through both sides of this battle, and I wrote it down, and I said, look, I've been on the enforcer side. I've grown up in a church that was, the, we were the enforcers. We were the ones who were going to stand on the side of the road with the signs that say, you know, God hates abortion, and we're going to just show it to every person that drives by, no matter if they care or if they don't care, no matter how it makes them feel about Christianity or not, I'm going to tell you how you're wrong. I'm going to enforce the message. I'm going to shove it down your throat no matter what it takes. And I'll tell you what, we got a lot of one-finger waves as we stood on that road. 
And I grew up in this, and I, I just was like, I don't, I don't, something's not right here. Something's not, I don't feel like this is really beneficial. I don't know that anybody drove by that wrote, read, read that sign was actually changed and transformed by the message of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I've come however many years down the road, 20 years down the road, and I realize that I'm kind of in a place where I'm, I'm actually maybe too far on the other side, and I'm challenged by this. I many times am the believer, I'm the peacekeeper. I'm the one who drives into my garage and shuts it before I get out of the car because I don't want to cause a commotion of the unbelieving neighbors that I have around me. They know that we're pastors, they know that we're believers, but what am I doing to influence that? What am I doing to bring peace to that? What am I doing to speak truth to that? Now, I'm not saying that we're always completely distant from them, but many times it's easier for me just to keep peace and stay away than it is to bring truth in life and let Jesus do the rest. Now, you may be asking, as I sit here and talk about this, you, you may be thinking in your mind, but Pastor Marcus, doesn't the Bible say that abortion's wrong, that life is valuable? Yes, it does. That's truth. Doesn't it talk about the fact that homosexuality is not right? Shouldn't we bring this to the forefront? Yeah, it does say that. It does tell us those things. But there's a way that brings life, and there's a way that brings death. And my responsibility is not to wield the sword of Jesus to cut down everybody in my path, because what I realized as I sat down is that all of us in this room are sinners, all of us in this room who are pointing a finger at somebody have 10 more pointing back at us. I just wrote down a list of sins. This is obviously not exhaustive, but if you're like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not a sinner. How about lying, cheating, stealing, loving money, eating too much, lust, greed, bitterness, disobedience, unrighteous anger, telling dirty jokes? Anybody in this room free from all of those? Here's the Here's the reality. Peace was brought to our life when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Eternal peace comes through Jesus Christ. And we are to also be peacemakers. Jesus told us, be a peacemaker. Why? Because he wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be known as his child. He wants you to walk in paths of righteousness. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. This is not in your notes, but I challenge you to write it down. It says this, For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated by the hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present to you holy and blameless above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Christ came to bring peace on this earth through the cross. We are to bring peace on this earth through Jesus. We're to work together to be his hands and his feet. A wise man, as you guys would know, is Pastor John. I know him by many names. He's not only my pastor, he's my father-in-law, he's my friend. He's many things. But he said to me one time, as a leader, when you walk into a situation, when you're going to go into a meeting with somebody, especially a difficult meeting, you need to walk into that meeting determining what you want the outcome to be before you ever actually start that meeting. We're here in this room 
Because you need to make a stance right now before you ever walk into the world, before you ever have an interaction with an unbeliever, before you ever do anything else from this point, you have to decide, I want to be a peacemaker. I want to bring peace to this world through Jesus. Because if you don't make the stance now, it's too easy on the other side of it to live a life that doesn't bring, it brings everything but peace. It brings judgment. It brings condemnation. We're to be peacemakers. You want to know what peace is? I don't have time to read it all. But James, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, which we just read, there are eight truths in there that say this these are the seeds of peace. If we plant these, we will receive peace back, we will receive life back, and we will be known as a child of God. I wrote them down in your notes because I knew I wouldn't have enough time to get to them. But they're all there. I want you to go and pray about those. Take them home. Expand this and ask God, how am I supposed to be a peacemaker? What, is, what do these things mean in my life? Are these things that I'm currently doing? I'll wrap it up this way. I had a conversation with a guy a few weeks ago in the back of the sanctuary here at the Lone Tree Campus. And that conversation went this way. We were talking about believers. And he was talking about a Bible study that he's leading with some guys that you would probably determine that were on the fence. Not sure if they bought into Christianity, not sure if they didn't or whatnot, but he's really pulled them in and really tried to, to bless them. And as he spoke this, we were just talking about how unfortunate it is that there's not more of those things going on this, these days. And I felt like the Lord said to me something and I think this is applicable to all of us. Our responsibility as believers is to point people to Jesus. Jesus is the bridge to life. We cannot bring people life, but Jesus can. We have a gap in front of us that is far beyond our ability to scale, to get across. So Jesus is the bridge to God. He's the bridge to life eternally. And our job is to point to Jesus. Our job is not to stand in this world and tell everybody how far they have to jump to get to the other side. There are far too many believers who point at that gap and they say, look how much sin is in your way to get to God. Our responsibility is to let God deal with those things and for us to point to Jesus. If you can point to Jesus, you will be a peacemaker on this, peacemaker on this earth and you will be known as a child of God. So would you guys pray with me? Father, we give you full opportunity in our lives to take who we are and turn it in to who you want us to be. God, we want to be peacemakers. We want to be known for you. We want to spread the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the life-giving message to this place, to this land, to this world. And we give you that opportunity and we say we take a stance to be peacemakers, Lord God, and to let your message move forward. We love you, God, and I thank you that you have made peace in our hearts and in our lives. I pray that that would spread like wildfire through this land. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Everyone said... Amen. God is uh, taking us through the Beatitudes, and we wrap that series up today teaching on this very important principle. Jesus said, blessed are, for they'll inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, he begins the Beatitudes with that, and he ends the Beatitudes with that, and anything that God says twice, I think, is worthy of us paying attention to. Here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus says this, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you've ever been mistreated, unfairly treated because of righteousness. If you've ever been in trouble for doing the right thing, then Jesus says, fear not because you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Remember, heaven's not just then and there, it's here and now. Jesus came to bring us the abundant life. And here's what he's teaching. When you do the right thing for the right reason, 
you inherit a life that's worth having. We've got some really important things that God's going to reveal to us in this timely message. Well, hello, everybody. My name is DJ, and I'm the campus pastor along with my wife, Cammie, at Castle Rock Campus. It's great to be with you uh, this weekend and at all of our campuses. Um, we are going to go right into our last beatitude. And I have to admit, when I heard that I was teaching on this particular beatitude, uh, I had mixed feelings. I think you'll understand why. It's blessed are the persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness. And I'm just like, wow, I feel like an expert on that one. And I'm like, you know, what can I possibly, what can I possibly say about being persecuted? I mean, I live in Douglas County, Colorado, one of the most beautiful places on God's green earth. I live in a land where people, as we are celebrating this very weekend, have given their lives so that I could be free. I'm sitting there driving my little 1970 dune buggy last night to Walmart to get a little battery charger. And it's just a beautiful evening. And it's, uh, you know, probably 65 degrees out. And it's just, life is good. And I'm going, God have mercy on me. I'm teaching on blessed are the persecuted. And I really felt, you know, so unqualified. And, 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 just, and then I thought, no, no, I do. I do have a point of connection to this. And I thought about the fact that, that uh, you know, several times a week I go to Starbucks and I order a special drink. And it's a, what I order is a tall in a grande size, so it's one size bigger, uh, Pike, which is the brewed, you know, the drip coffee, uh, with 130 degree steamed breve which is steamed half and half, and it creates this wonderful, milky, frothy uh, uh, thing, you know, that mixes with the coffee, and it's just wonderful. But I know there's times that I walk away from there, I take a sip, and I'm like, that has got to be 132 degrees, or maybe 133, and I ordered 130. And I thought, maybe that's persecution. But, you know, sometimes, <laughs> are you with me? Sometimes our life is hard. Or then I remember the time that I went to the car dealership because, you know, the little plastic pin, and, and Dan remembers this, the little plastic pin on my seatbelt, you know, that keeps the buckle from sliding all the way down had broken. And my buckle was sliding down between the seat and the door every time I got in the car. And I had to reach down in there and my watch was kind of clanging and getting scratched on the side. And I'm like, and I went into the car dealership. I said, how much for one of those little plastic, you know what I'm talking about? Those little plastic things that just kind of go through and it has, you know, a little thing like a thumbtack. And I asked them how much and they said, the, the person across, I won't say which dealership uh, to protect the, the guilty, uh, but the person across the, the counter from the parts place said $17.35 with a totally straight face. And I'm like, are we talking about the same part? Like the little plastic piece like this that just snaps through the thing that comes in a barrel like this big from China for like 8 million of them for like $3. Are we talking about that piece, $17? I came back in and had kind of a flesh moment uh, here, told all the secretaries at the church about it. It's one of their roles at Jubilee is just hearing the pastors vent about whatever happens to be on our hearts. Uh, and I thought maybe that's persecution, but no. The truth is that we're talking about obviously something much, much deeper. And, uh, but I do believe that God, in spite of it, in spite of that, maybe you feel like I do. When we read something like this, you know, it's easy to go, wow, you know, uh, even with my best efforts to think of myself as being persecuted, you know, by Starbucks or by the car dealership, the reality is I'm tremendously blessed. 
The reality is I'm free. The reality is that, that, that I have so much to be thankful for. And you may be feeling like, wow, when we look at a scripture like this, how can it possibly apply to me? What can I take away from this? But I believe that God has a life-giving word for you and for me this weekend. Do you want to get into that together? All right, let's jump in then. Um, you know, you've heard probably the saying, no good deed goes unpunished, right? Maybe you've done something nice for someone or whatever, and all of a sudden you found that, you know, something bad happened in return, or you were asked to do even more work or whatever. And it's a saying that certainly it's not in Scripture, but sometimes we find to be um, the truth. But I believe that this is true. When we choose to live out the Beatitudes, when we choose to live our lives in the way that Jesus said, hey, you'll be blessed if you do this. When we choose to be a peacemaker, or when we choose to be merciful, or when we choose to be pure in heart, or when we choose to be meek and humble, right? And, and we're not just saying, hey, Jesus is my savior, or I consider him a good role model or someone I'd like to emulate someday, but we're really saying, I want my life to be about these things. I want this to really be the way, as Pastor Marcus mentioned, what I'm known for, how I truly live in the day to day. I believe that we become marked. We become marked. And it's kind of a, a double meaning there on that word. Because in the first place, we're marked by the character of Christ, right? That's the good part of it. We become marked as, as one who is like Jesus. And we're truly loving people and we're truly being merciful and we're truly, you know, doing all these things, hungry and thirsting for righteousness. And if you haven't heard these messages over the last few weeks, I encourage you, go to jfc.org and download them. I'm telling you what, it has challenged me personally. I find myself thinking about the message about what we've heard and, and going, wow, Lord, make that a reality. Let me be a merciful person. Let me be humble. Let me guard my heart and be pure in heart. But as we do these things, we're marked in one way by the character of Christ. How many of you guys want that? I do too. That's awesome. Campuses? Yep. Okay. But here's the deal. We're also marked by the world as someone who's different. We're also marked and maybe even with like a target on our, on our life or, or kind of a big, hey, look here. This person uh, uh, marches to the beat of a different drum. They've got a different thing going. All of a sudden, uh, the world looks at us in a different way. And I believe that God is saying to us through the scripture in Matthew, and Jesus was wanting to prepare us to say, hey, if you choose to live your life in a way that honors me and in a way that is described in the Beatitudes, then be ready to be persecuted. Or at the very least, be ready to be marginalized or be ready to be questioned or be ready to be suspected. Like, what's going on? Because there's something different going on and I'm not sure if I agree with it. I'm not sure if I understand it. I'm not sure if I like it. Here's what it says in John chapter 15. Jesus was speaking with the disciples uh, before giving his life that, the next day. And he says this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Wow. You know what? We may not be persecuted physically and thrown in a jail cell or beaten or tortured for our faith. I hope that is always the case. None of us know what the future holds. But here's the fact that there may be people around you that question you, 
that try to push you out of their lives, that may even say things about you to other people or to your employer or in other situations that might be harmful. Why? Because of what Jesus said. We're not the world's. We don't belong to the world. If the world hated Jesus, guess what? It's going to hate you and me if we're living like Jesus lived. I remember watching, uh, and I know all of you here are very spiritual. You probably have never heard. There's a show called American Idol. On te- it's a television. It's a box thing. I know at Castle Rock, everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know American Idol. Uh, or the Highlands Ranch. But anyway, uh, so, so there's a show there. And back when Simon Cowell was still one of the judges, I remember that one of the girls that was a contestant several years ago sang a song. And it was a song to the Lord. It was a beautiful song that I could tell came from her heart as a song of worship. And I was like, oh man, turn it up. You know, and I'm just like, and she had a beautiful voice and, and she was singing this song just from all of her heart. And all of a sudden at the very end of it, Simon Cowell gets up and he's like, well, I think it was a bit indulgent. You know, indulgent was the word he used. You just kind of did it caring about just yourself because you like to sing that type of song and you weren't really thinking about what everybody else wants to hear. And it became so obvious in my mind that this this truth is exactly what I was seeing played out in front of me, that the world operates on a certain system. Do you get it? The world operates on a certain sort of economy. I'm not talking about money, dollars and cents. I'm talking about the way things are done. And there's just some certain unwritten rules that you do if you're trying to live according to the world system. And all of a sudden, this contestant stepped out of that and was like, with your permission, I'm just going to worship my Jesus. I'm just going to worship. I'm going to sing for an audience of one. I'm going to stand here in front of 8 million or 10 million or 14 million people in households across America and just pour out my song in worship to my God. And all of a sudden, guess what happened? It just shook and rattled everything because it wasn't, it didn't fit. It was like, what is this? What's going on? And as much as I love Simon Cowell for his brutal honesty, I don't think he was confronted with a reality that he didn't understand. And he was like, and all he could do was, well, I think that's indulgent. You know, it doesn't, it didn't seem like you were appeasing us and the crowd. You were kind of doing your own thing. Yeah, she was. (laughs) She was living for an audience of one. But when we make that decision to do what that contestant did and to live for righteousness, we also can be expected to be questioned to be insulted, to be suspected, and perhaps even be persecuted. It says this, blessed are those, not just who are persecuted, but it says who are persecuted because of righteousness. What does that mean? That word in the Greek literally means those who live for a judge's verdict. There was a judicial sense to that word, that when the judge said, you're approved, you are not guilty, You are innocent. You are righteous. Go on your way. You are free. There was something there that was a finality to the judge's authority and the right that a judge had to say, you have done the right thing and I speak blessing over you. There is no punishment here, but there is a righteous verdict. That is what that word righteousness means. And I believe that it means this. If you've been around Jubilee for a while, you know that we oftentimes say this. Hey, we don't live for God's approval. We live what? From his approval. That is, wow. If you're new with us this weekend at any of our campuses and and you wonder, hey, what do you guys preach at that church? That's what we preach. That's the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to do a bunch of things trying to earn God's approval, but that 
God has given us his righteousness as a free gift only because of what Jesus did. I'll tell you what, I love preaching this because it's real. It's not about earning it. It's, tell you what, it's no more fun for a preacher to earn it than it is for you to earn it. Do you know that? That game, it's a level playing field. It is misery for everybody to try to impress God, to try to earn righteousness, to try to be good enough. Wow, I played that game for years, even being raised in the church. And when I finally came to understand, I'm not saying I even understand the, the fullness of God's grace, but when I got enough of a glimpse to go, are you serious? This is, this is totally because of what Jesus, his perfection is imputed to me and given to me as my righteousness. And God sees me as boom, approved, bam, not guilty, bam, righteous, bam, big stamp on my forehead. Like Marcus was talking about the tattoo, we are stamped with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us. So we know we're not trying to earn something, but here's the deal. I believe that once we're given that, then we can also live for righteousness in, in as much as this, that we treasure that, that we're like, this is the most important and the most valuable thing in my life. God has given me righteousness. He said, not only not guilty, but come here, I love you. My son, my daughter, I adopt you. I put my name on you. I put my ring on your finger of my authority. Go and conduct business in my name. Be about the Father's business. Go and set people free. Go and take the good news to people that are brokenhearted. <laughs> I love that. So here's the deal. Once we receive that as a free gift and we live from that, we can also say, wow, but I live for it in the sense that I treasure it. Does that make sense? I value that. Wow, God, I care more about what you think than about what anybody else out there thinks. And I think that contestant on American Idol was doing that very thing. And when we do that, when we choose to value our judge's edict more than anybody else's opinion, we're living for righteousness. My name means that. Daniel means God is my judge. God is the one who has the right to look at my life and go, good job. You did it right. And that's what I'm living for. And I believe what you're living for when we choose righteousness. Here's the deal. When we choose righteousness, we're in good company. We're in good company. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, and it lists a number of people who made that very same choice to live both from and for righteousness. And it talks about Abraham, talks about different ones, but in verse 24, it says this, by faith, Moses, when grown, refused the privileges of the Egyptian royal house. <clears throat> Excuse me. He chose a hard life. I'm going to read that again. He chose a hard life with God's people rather than opportunistic, soft life of sin with the oppressors. He valued suffering or persecution, we could say, in the Messiah's camp far greater than Egyptian wealth because he was looking ahead, anticipating the payoff. You see, Moses made that choice as well to live for righteousness. He was raised in the palace. He was studied with the other princes and princesses of Egypt. He was, had everything, the best of everything. And he could have gone on to be the ruler of the greatest empire of the earth at that time. But he made a choice. He said, no, I want God's destiny. I want to live for God's purpose. He says he was looking ahead. 
Another version says they were looking ahead to a city with foundations. He was looking ahead to a kingdom. And I believe we've got that same choice as we think about living for righteousness. Which kingdom are we choosing to live for? Am I choosing to live for whatever is easiest and whatever everybody else understands and whatever just makes sense to everybody and I just kind of blend in? Or am I going to make a choice like Moses made to say no to some of these things for a season because I value the kingdom of heaven? You know what's ironic? Is that the very first beatitude and the very last beatitude, I don't know if you noticed this, the reward for both is the same. And I happen to preach them both, which is kind of funny. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the last one says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you think God is trying to communicate something? He wants you and me to have the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to, to live it and breathe it, right? Not just know that we're going there one day. He's like, here, I want, you to, I want you to walk it. I want you to experience it. I want you to have my joy, my power, my purpose, my life in you, my kingdom. I, I, the whole point of everything is I want to give it to you. That's why I came. How powerful is that? But we have to choose to say, wow, God, I value this gift of yours, your kingdom. And I'm willing to have other people question me, insult me, or maybe even persecute me because of it. You know, we don't have, even have to look back that far to see the good company that we're in when we make that choice to pursue the kingdom of heaven. Right now, there are over 100 million people being persecuted for Jesus around the world. Many of them in Islamic countries and the old Soviet Union, you can get the Voice of the Martyrs magazine. You can go on different websites. You can Google persecuted believers. It's unbelievable what people are going through. I just read the book In Prison in Iran by Dan Bauman. He'll be with us later this year sharing his story, how he spent 63 days suffering, being beaten in isolation because of Jesus, because of righteousness. There's a pastor named Saeed Abedini right now who's been in prison for 238 days in the worst prison in Iran, Evan Prison. He just got out of solitary confinement. He's been beaten. They believe he has internal bleeding. He hasn't been allowed to see a doctor. His wife is afraid. They're from Utah, or excuse me, uh, uh, Idaho. And she's afraid to go over and visit him for fear that she may be arrested as well. They have two children. I would encourage you, there's a petition you can sign. There's over 500,000 signatures already to try to get the Iranian government to release him. But he's been in prison because he's a pastor and he wants people to know about the love of Jesus. There's people suffering for righteousness all over the world. And I believe that God would have us to pray for them, to remember them. Right after studying the, the, in Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God, we're told, hey, and pray at all times with all prayers for all people. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it tells us, for you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering as you are. So let's never take for granted the freedoms that we have. We're honoring those people who died to give us that freedom, and rightly so. But let's not forget to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that are truly being persecuted, even on a physical level, for their love for Jesus. So here's the deal. What do we do? I believe that God would have us do this. He would have us first make sure that we're choosing 
to value his kingdom. Whatever it is, we may not be persecuted outwardly. Thank God for that. I never want that for you or for myself. But I do want us to be choosing to live for righteousness. Choosing to live for the kingdom of God at any cost. You know what? Jesus says this in the few verses that follow that. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow. Did you hear, catch what he said? Rejoice and be glad, for in the same way they treated the prophets. Here's the deal. Three very simple action steps for you. The first is rejoice. Rejoice in choosing the kingdom of God. God wants his joy to fill your heart. Be glad. Look ahead towards your reward. For great is your reward, Jesus said. As we choose God's kingdom every day, even as these people around the world are suffering and we're living in that same heart and spirit to glorify Jesus, great is your reward. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets. You know what the third thing is? This, never underestimate that your life is prophetic in the world. And what I mean by that is, is this, you may not be foretelling the future and saying, oh, in you know, two years, this is gonna happen. And in five years, this nation is gonna attack that nation. That's one type of prophecy and that's okay. But there's another kind of prophecy and that's when instead of just blending in with the crowd and compromising the truth and the love of Jesus inside of us, we in love let our light shine. When we, by living according to the Beatitudes, by being merciful, by being humble, by being meek, by being hungry and thirsty for righteousness, by being pure in heart, we're living like Jesus. Guess what? Your life is being prophetic to those around you. It's like a red light. Here's somebody who's living like Jesus lived. And as, as Pastor Marcus said, it's not about going and, 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 and starting wars with people. It's on the contrary, humbly. Desiring to bring God's peace to them through the love and the truth that's found in Jesus. Is that what you want? Wow, I believe that if we make that choice together, God will use us to rock not only our families, not only even our cities, our campuses, but wow, we will rock a nation and a world with the love of Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you today for your promise to us. Lord, you said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, you promise us not only blessing as we obey you and live in your word. Every single time you made a statement, you said, blessed are those, blessed are you because you want your blessing to fill our lives, Lord. And each one comes with a specific reward and a specific blessing that you want to pour out in our lives. But God, even beyond that, Lord, there is victory in store as we choose your kingdom and value it above all else. God, I pray that in every one of our hearts, we would choose you today. We would live for an audience of one. We would see these characteristics that you spoke of on that sermon on that hillside 2,000 years ago be lived out in our lives that the world would see that you live and that you are love. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, DJ.